Hey there, friends and running fans. This is Ambi Burfoot, welcoming you to the latest episode of the podcast, Running State of the Sport. And this is George Hirsch, your co-host at Running State of the Sport. In every episode, we talk to the smartest, most informed, most influential, and sometimes fastest runners on the planet. This week, we've got a great conversation with a woman who was once one of the fastest on the planet. That's the pioneer marathon runner, Patty Catalano Dillon. Just last week at the New York City Marathon, she received the prestigious A Baby Bikila Award. Patty won a number of big marathons during her career, but she's best remembered is the first American woman to break 2.30 in the marathon, which she did in New York in 1980 when she finished second to the nearly unbeatable Greta Weitz. But before going to Patty, we want to talk about some of the biggest recent news stories in the running world. Amby, what grabbed your attention? Well, obviously, George, after the uh, TCS New York City Marathon, that's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been analyzing for this last week or so. And frankly, I wish Patty had been running because she would have never jogged the course the way the elite women's field did with their winning time of over 227. Here are some numbers that I put together about the World Marathon major races this year. These numbers represent the gap between the men's winning time and the women's winning time. Here they come. Tokyo, 11 minutes and 6 seconds, the male runner ahead of the first female. Boston, 15.44. London, 17 minutes, 8 seconds. Berlin, 9 minutes, 9 seconds. Chicago, 13 minutes, 9 seconds. New York, 22 minutes and 25 seconds. So before New York, we all thought this was going to be a a race for the seasons. The women's field was so strong. And all we got was a replay of the Fifth Avenue mile rather than a full five borough marathon. You know, it's so interesting what you say, Amby, those differentials. Uh, And think of it that uh, 40 years ago, Patty Dillon ran two hours and 27 minutes, and uh, there were no super shoes back then either. No, there weren't, but she was a fierce competitor, and that's what I feel we didn't see at this year's New York City Marathon. So what can be done? This week, I've been talking with Bill Rogers, Jack Fultz, Tony Revis, and a few others, and here's our proposal. The marathons obviously put up good appearance money and prize money for the runners, and they should somehow tie that prize money to actual performance. Yes, the runners should get nice bonuses when they run fast and break the course record, but they should also get deductions if they run too slow. At New York City, the course record for women is 2 hours, 22 minutes, and 31 minutes. So let's tell all the top women they have to run at least 224 to get their stated prize monies, or otherwise they're going to get a reduction in prize monies. And to make sure they have some some help in those early miles, I'll give them a pacer for the first 10K only, not for the whole race, only for 10K to get them out on a good solid pace, and then let's see them really fight it out the rest of the way. 
So there were so many other good things at the New York City Marathon. I was particularly struck and want to give big praise to Molly Huddle and Kellen Taylor, not just for running strong marathons as they did after recent childbirths, but for allowing the New York Times to get a really close-up, candid photo essay story of them breastfeeding their children in the days before the marathon. That's something that I think will prove really meaningful to many new mother runners. Lastly, I want to declare there was one world record at the New York City Marathon. Former hockey star Zeno Chara, all six feet nine inches of him, finished in three hours and 19 minutes. And I'm going to declare that a world record for runners who are six, nine or taller. <laughs> good, good for Taro. And, you know, he was just one of many heroes. I mean, there were 51,402 finishers. Ambien, that's exactly 99% of those who started the race, which, which I find, you know, really astonishing. And the New York Roadrunners and the city of New York put on another just, you know, fantastic marathon. And the runners honored them by running strong from Staten Island to Central Park. So it was, it was a great race. But, you know, much more than that, what I've been left with these last days since the marathon is at a time of such division and turmoil in the world, it was a victory for humanity itself. There were 148 nations represented out there. And, you know, you just felt that people connected. The camaraderie was extraordinary. And as it went through all the communities of New York and the city came together, you know, Ambi, to me, it was it was it was magical. Uh, nothing, nothing short of that. And for you and for me, uh, you know, we keep keep coming to the New York City Marathon. For us, it's always been this extraordinary reunion. Um, we talk about all the nations represented. Well, you and I had a traditional Saturday night uh, dinner before the marathon with friends and old champions. And, you know, we did it again this year. And there was Herman Silva from Mexico and Johnny Poli from Italy. Uh, Rob DiCostella, former world champion, came from Australia. He, he's coaching a, a group of Aborigine runners. Steve Jones was with us for dinner. The Welchman, who was the former world record holder, uh, running 207, you know, 40 years ago. I mean, uh, and then, of course, Frank Shorter, Bill Rogers, Joni Benoit, Dina, Meb. Uh, it was something. But, you know, uh, what I love about all of this is we keep even, even as we, you know, mix it up with old friends, we meet new people. And Tom Carlio of New Balance uh, brought to our little Saturday evening dinner, Gabby Thomas, the super sprinter. As you remember, she won a silver and a gold in Budapest. And I think she's going to be one of the big faces of the Paris Olympics as far as 
NBC and the media are concerned because she's just, she's dazzling. And uh, what a person. We threw her into the mix of all these old marathon runners. And, and I, you know, every one of us wanted to get a selfie with us. She just stole <laughs> our hearts. I mean, I mean, she was something. Uh, so many so many memories out of a weekend like this, Amby. Well, it, it was spectacular, George, and it was not just uh, magical, as you said, but almost miraculous. We couldn't help but, in the days before the race, wonder if there might be this kind of protest or that kind of protest with all that's going on in the world. But fortunately, there wasn't, certainly not of a major scale, and the race was just magnificent every step of the way. And uh, my thinking about Gabby Thomas, uh, it was great to meet her, of course, and all of us being uh, old, uh, stiff marathon runners were sort of nudging her and saying, so Gabby, are you going to be inspired to run a marathon? (laughs) And she didn't respond to that, but she had the good class, the great class, not to ask any of us if we wanted to step on the track to go 200 meters with her, because <laughs> you know how that would have worked out. You know, Amby, we've talked a lot about the marathon, but we still haven't tipped our hat to the men's w- winner, uh, Tamarat Tola. I mean, my gosh, he set the course record. And uh, let's put that in a little bit of context. Uh New York is famously a difficult course. It's not easy. It's got the bridges. We know it's slow. And I was reading Kyle Merber. Uh, you know, he's a real student of the sport. And he did an analysis of New York and showed that it could be about three and a half to four minutes slower than a super fast course like Rotterdam. And he based that on the times of a number of the top 10 finishers who ran New York and also ran Rotterdam. So take, you know, Tola's 204.58, knock off three and a half, four minutes, and you've got him in the Kipchoge Kiptum League as, as a real contender, I would think, for Paris 2024 in the Olympic marathon. Well, absolutely, because he ran totally alone, no rabbit any step of the way, nobody anywhere near him the last half of the course. And a lot of people's eyes were wide open at that performance. And certainly he's on the the medal list for the Paris Olympics next summer. And that's the biggest running news that we've seen recently from George Hirsch and Amby Burfoot at Running State of the Sports. This podcast is brought to you by MarathonHandbook.com and RunLongRunHealthy.com. Marathon Handbook is the world's leading marathon website with a special focus on trustworthy running information and free runner-tested training plans for all ability levels. And Run Long, Run Healthy is Ambi's weekly newsletter with the newest, most scientific, and most useful training advice for runners. He spends hours searching the internet so you can review the best new content in just minutes.
Now let's turn our attention to this week's guest, Patty Catalano Dillon. Patty was a major global force in women's marathon running during the important <laughs> late 1970s. She had five wins at the Ocean State Marathon, four in Honolulu, and three heartbreaking seconds in the Boston Marathon. <laughs> and Patty was a barrier breaker in another way also. In November 1980, at the New York City Marathon, she became the first U.S. woman to break 2.30 in the marathon. Patty, it's so terrific to have you with us. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Look at you guys. This is great. This is great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, our listeners can't see us, Patty, as you can, oh, that's right. but, but that's okay. They're listening, and many of them will not actually know a lot about your early days in running because it wasn't yesterday. It was in the 1970s. <laughs> So could you tell us a little bit about your childhood, the family that you grew up with and what life was like? Oh, okay, sure. I grew up in a little peninsula of off of Boston, a place called Quincy, City of Presidents, a place called Howe's Neck. And I could see the beach from my bedroom window. It was just great. Uh, I never thought I would leave the ocean, but I lived in the desert and now I live in the country. And I did leave the ocean. And it was pretty good. I was the oldest of nine kids. There's five years between myself and the next one. And um, I had a lot of responsibilities as a child growing up. And hence, when I started running, it was great. <laughs> it was like the first time I could, I could breathe. But prior to that, I enjoyed running because it reminded me of playtime. I, um, when I first started, I really wanted to, you know, fix myself. I was overweight. I was unhappy, and I wanted to take care of it. And running turned out to be the thing. So, Patty, you you started on that, and your life has been one of ups and downs, to say the <laughs> least. It's been a extraordinary narrative, you know, one that uh, really could be a Hollywood script. And at some point, I want to get into that because I understand there's one on the drawing boards based on your life right now. So maybe we should just touch on that immediately because you really have some story. Oh, thank you. I, you know, it was, my career was all over. It was done. And I was, I get asked to do speaking engagements here and there. I was asked to do uh, uh, speak at a Native American camp uh, for coaches, counselors, and sure, I went. And I they had a lot of speakers there, a lot of speakers. It's a over a two day show, uh, two day thing. And I went and I saw the people. I didn't listen to anybody. Um, and I didn't know what the heck, why they brought me in or what I was going to speak about. And there were some teenagers in the audience. So I spoke to about 100, 150 people. And I had no idea what I was going to talk about. And when I brought my daughter with me, I love traveling with her. And I asked her, Raven, what do you think I should talk about? What should I say? And she goes, Mom, you'll figure it out. When you get up there, you'll know. <laughs> And I was like, okay. So it was my turn to speak. And as I walked up, 
um, I just put my hands down by my side and I could feel, I made the waves. I could feel energy. I know it's weird. I could feel energy and I thought, okay. I stood up in front of the class, out, out of the room and then words just shot out of my mouth. And what I did tell them was how I ended my career. And I didn't tell them the beginning. I told them how I ended it and that I could walk away. I did the Rio Marathon, and I had thought that this was going to reignite, kick off uh, a new beginning for me. And it turned out to be after the race that I could say, that's it. No more. I don't need to do this. Um, I'm satisfied. I'm happy. I reached, I reached what I wanted and without even knowing what I wanted. Uh, and the, in the audience was, <laughs> was a documentary person, a filmmaker. And as I was talking to the, the teenagers, and Henry Rono was there. And we were posing for pictures and signing autographs. And my daughter came over, and she gave me a card. And she says, Mom, you got to talk to this guy. And I was like, oh, okay. And I just see the word documentary. And I was like, oh, been there, done that. It's not going to happen. So I put it aside and I just, you know, kept doing what I was doing. Over time, he came over, introduced himself. His name is Mr. Sanjay Raul. He's an award-winning filmmaker. And he said, I would like to talk to you about a documentary. And I was like, oh, okay. So it happened to be he lived in New York and we could go there. So we did. Danny and I visited with him and, and another producer and we chatted. And when we came home, I got a phone call that said, oh, Patty, well, it was great that you came here. It was wonderful that you could talk. And it's to tell you, it's not going to be a documentary. And I was like, oh, okay. And I totally understood. And I was making sign languages at Danny. I said, see, see, I told you. <laughs> And then he said, well, it's going to be a narrative. And I went, oh, okay. Without even knowing what a narrative was. A story, a story based <laughs> on your life, right? Yes, I know. But I mean, you feel, you hear film or a movie and it just threw me like a narrative. Okay. And over time, I realized that um, what, what he was looking for, what I said in the, during my talk, I was given a 20 minute session, you know, 20 minute time limit. And as I was speaking uh, at the coaches conference, I looked over at the person who invited me and he just went, and I went, okay. So I took another, like more, I was developing the story more and I looked over and he just went, and I went, okay. And then like the third time I glanced over one time and he just went like this, just shook his hands, like, go on, go on, go on. So I said, okay, I have room. So that's what happened. I just, I walked all over the room. I asked questions. I was telling them I was being demonstrative and expressive, just like I love to be. So. <laughs> And I was, Patty, yeah. you mentioned uh, Native American, so we should tell yeah. our listeners that you're the daughter of an indigenous mother. Yes, I am. Yeah, and I think that's important that they know it. And also, they should know more as to why 
a Hollywood filmmaker wants to base a story on your life, there's an awful lot in there, it seems to me. There's depression and you had eating disorders and uh, you were homeless for a period of time. If I'm not mistaken, you lived in your car yep. for months. Tell us, tell <laughs> I us. Know, I mean, this, I is, this is an unbelievable story of resilience, your story. Oh, thank you. Well, I always landed on my feet for some reason. I just made do with what I had. And it helped define, hone what I wanted and how to get there. And I had partnered up with people that wasn't a good fit. And once you partner up, then it's like solid. <laughs> I had met people that I said, okay, no more. I've had enough. I want to go. No, that's it. They just didn't want to shake no. <laughs> so it was really harder to get out of it than it was to get into it. And that led to things. Um why? Because I told him, I told when I told the story that I really wasn't looking to be a racer or a competitor. I was chasing a feeling. I was chasing a, I wanted to be fulfilled and I could breathe and running hit the button for me. And it happened my very first run, George. I had, I did uh, an hour in the cemetery. I'd still be running. I tell the story. I'd still be running if the cop didn't stop me. I'm running in the crazy cemetery and I'm going around and I have sweatshirts on, a neoprene belt, sweatpants. I have my most comfortable pair of shoes on. Uh, at that time was earth shoes <laughs> by Tom, knockoffs by Tom McCann. It was great. They had t- wide toe box and dropped heel. It was great. And I was they said, you know, I could burn 3,500 calories uh, that make a pound, and I could burn 700 calories in an hour. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll do an hour. Unfortunately, a cop car stopped me in the cemetery. He pulled up beside me, and I'm in, like, I'm, in, I'm way out of my head somewhere. It was just wonderful. And I, he looked at me, and he sized me up. Hmm. He says, uh, what are you doing? And I looked at him and I went, oh, uh, 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 I'm jogging. And he just looked at me again, had his hands on his steering wheel, and he says, gave me the chin. He said, all right, go ahead. But the spell was broken. So, you know, I went back to the Y. (laughs) I go through the desk and people are just looking at me and I'm like, oh, oh," you know, but I, I feel good. I cross the desk and they just, uh, I could see the the person working the desk just look at me. I go into the locker room. I push one door after the other, and I'm the only one in there. And I thought I start peeling off my sweatshirts, and I'm getting ready to go in the shower. And as I go towards the showers, I can see my face in a mirror. And I look, and it's like, oh my goodness, no wonder people are looking at me. I'm all white. I had red circles, <laughs> red rings around my eyes with black circles. <gasps> and I thought, how could I look so bad and feel so good? <laughs> well, well, Patty, you not only felt so good, but in a remarkably short period of time from then, uh, in fact, the, the, later that fall, you ran your first marathon at Ocean State. Yes. 
And we've got a lot of your career to cover quickly here. But tell us what the first marathon was like. How in the heck did you do that? And then we'll ask you about some of the subsequent races. Okay. Um, well, I wasn't going to do the marathon. I never even heard of the of of a marathon or Boston. And the group of guys that I happened to bump into uh, after a few runs that I did over, they had just finished running Boston. And I was kind of following behind because we started at the same time. And... Over time, a few days, um, I can hear their conversations, and they more or less acknowledged me by just giving me a look, no verbal things, just by giving me a look. And I heard one person say that how remarkable this marathon was, this this Boston marathon. <laughs> and I was so taken with their camaraderie and their words and how enthused they were about this event. And I said, I just... I blurt it out, which I do at times. I just blurt it out. And I said, I'm going to do that. And he said, what? I said, the, the marathon, Boston. And he said, well, <laughs> and he looks over at me and he says, um, you know, you have to qualify for it. And I said, I'm thinking, no, I got I to gotta run a marathon to prove that I can run a marathon. <laughs> and I thought that was ridiculous. And he said, yeah, we're all going to this place in, in uh, New, uh, Rhode Island. I looked at him and I sized him up and I thought, huh, if he can do it, I can do it. And that's what started it. Without even knowing, I asked how far it was. And he said it was 26.2 miles. And I thought, oh, no, I did it again. I'm chewing off more than I can chew. I bit it off. Oh. So what happened was I I listened to them, and it was the year that was 76. It was the race of the hoses and how hurt they were and what they went through. And I thought, I was a worker bee. I could could work. And I thought, huh, that's all I can do. I'll just do it. So I knew in my heart that... When I started feeling that pain, whatever they were talking about, I was going to just work harder. <laughs> That's all I knew. And I really thought I was going to die of a heart attack. I thought it was crazy. And I really did. I really did. The longest run I did, I did one 16-miler. And then I took about a week off because I thought I was going to have a heart attack. You know, I was like, oh, that was a lot. I got to save it. <laughs> and Patty, you ran 253. Um, yes, I on did. Such limited training. I mean, oh. that's just unbelievable. Oh, but I had the mental. I had it here. <laughs> it was, I, George, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be hard. And just listening to other people, well, the guys talk. And I had brought myself to the point, that 16-miler that I did, and I did two 10-milers. And I just felt that I could do it. However, I didn't know it was going to be 253. What During that conversation the first time, the guy said to me, okay, he says, well, you don't have to worry about um, running three hours because you can do 330. And I looked at him. I was like, oh, my gosh. So that's when I thought, if he could do it, I could do it. So I knew I wanted to break three hours. I knew that. But I had no idea, like, 
what kind of effort, what kind of anything it was going to take. And, and that 253 obviously qualified you for Boston, Patty. But it still, yeah, it, took, it still took you a couple more years to get there for injury reasons or whatever. I, yeah, But it by did. the I, time I, you did go to Boston, you were a 241 marathoner from other races. How did you come so far so quickly in the marathon? Oh, and were you, and were you getting coached? Let me add that question, yes, too. Um, I, I started getting coached in the end of 79, around 79, after, after the uh, Tufts 10 and after Newport uh, in 79. I started, getting, I started getting coached then. And what happened was it just kind of cleaned up what I was doing. And it really didn't fit me well because <laughs> like, I, I kind of like just running and then take a day off, <laughs> run. I took the winters off. <laughs> it was too cold and snowy to run. So I took them off. <laughs> so how much were you running back then? Um, for the first marathon, I did 40 miles, which was a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of mileage. <laughs> it was, but it took you a lot more to get where you wanted to be eventually. Yes, it did. Um, uh, fortunately, uh, through the coaching, I met Squires, who believed in like Lilliard uh, distance, and that just fit me to a T. Because if I could slow it down, he said I run too fast. If I could slow it down and run longer time, I would improve. So I was like, okay. And so it was very cautious in the beginning because I really thought I was going to die. No, that was very, that's very valid. <laughs> I really thought I was going to die. But what I did, I got hurt. Um, I had a, um, my hip hurt, the bone in front of my hip, the psoas hurt. And I still continued because if you remember around that time in the 70s, you, were con- you weren't considered a runner unless you did like seven minute pace. <laughs> Or um, you broke like uh, three hours in the marathon or you did like 245 um, or you did, you know, like 100 miles a week. And I was, it was like all this information coming. Luckily, the people that I saw at Billy's store in Cleveland Circle, they were just regular people who ran. And I thought, huh, okay. And so I would run hard with them. Because that's how they ran. They were guys. That's how they ran. But then I would sneak off by myself and then just da, 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 <laughs> and just run easy to bring back the, the niceness. And so I guess I was getting a lot of miles in. <laughs> you guess? I'm pretty sure you were. <laughs> I, did, I did. I did. I did. When, when we started counting, I, I signed a contract. And, uh, and when we started counting the miles, um, we kind of fudged a little bit, but we put down 130. <laughs> it was a little bit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Patty, you got to Boston finally after injuries, yeah. 79. Oh. And yep. let's face it, you got second place for three <laughs> years in a row. <laughs> behind behind Joni, Benoy, Jackie Garreau, and Allison Rowe. And, and what did story. what did that what did that feel like? I mean, second place in Boston is spectacular, but on the other hand, you were there for for the win, 
how how did you uh, how did you process all that? Okay, well, the first year I wasn't there for the win. <laughs> Steve Harris, a reporter for the Herald, he had how they do it, you know, like to win and all that. He had picked me, and I and I saw it, and I panicked, and I said, "No, I'm just running it." <laughs> Um, and I had a hurt foot. I had a neuroma on my right foot, and I had a cortisone shot the Friday before the race. Um, and I didn't have any pain until around 16 miles. Um, and I was leading. It was great. And I, you know, I was just, you know, running along. And I think Joni passed me around um, uh, the Brayburn Golf Club. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the club there. And that was it. I mean, I had nothing. And then you were up behind me, George. You and I think her name was Sue Crenn. I ran with Sue Crenn. I We ran 238, yeah. and you ran 238 in less seconds. But, you know, yes. Sue and I ran the first uh, 16 with Joni. And oh, then, she, oh, and then okay. she had business to take care of. So off she went. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there was, and you came up to me at the finish and the shoot I said something he said oh we finished right behind you and I I looked at him I said well you just should have passed or something (laughs) (laughs) I had I had nothing left nothing (laughs) and then with with Jackie oh and then I went right home afterwards I was disappointed that the beef stew was dinty more yeah, yes, I remember that. They're not around any I longer. I don't think. Don't I know, I know. But I, I like beef stew with barley, and I was just so disappointed. So I just went home. And then when Jackie happened, I didn't know she was there. I didn't know. She, I didn't read the papers. I didn't know she was in the race. I didn't know she was ahead until um, some of the master, Lucky Gray, Bob Regan, the master runners there at the time were near the the hills and they shouted yellow short she's right there and i went what there's a girl (laughs) (laughs) and i went searching for these yellow shorts and uh by the time i saw her and try to close the gap it was just it was done and then to finish and uh see her and she uh, i said hey congratulations, you won. And she didn't speak English. And her partner turned around and said, no. And I was like, what? Who, who, who beat you? And they pointed. And it was Billy sitting up there with Rosie Ruiz. Yeah, what a story. <laughs> of course. What a story. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> so, and you know, we went through that. Did you feel like you knew almost immediately that Rosie was not the real thing? Oh, oh, absolutely. I didn't see her. Well, I didn't see Jackie either. Oh, but she was a little on the fleshy side. You <laughs> yeah, know? she was. Um, <laughs> and she didn't have a the look in her eye. There's a look. She didn't have it. And then to see Billy's face while he was sitting next to her, you're like, ooh. <laughs> just like, oh, I know that face. And then so I just said, no, 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 no. Um, and then, you know, we became quite good friends and we raced each other. You all, and Jackie, all not long. you and Rosie. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Yes, to clear, clear that up. Yes, Jackie and I, we became qu- quite close. It was really And then good. third again to Allison Rowe. Well, tell us, you got, well, you got kicked worry. by a police don't horse, worry. right? Okay, this one, this is the race that I. Right after I crossed the line with Jackie and Rosie, I just said, like, to myself, enough, enough. 
I'm doing it. I just turned to Ron and I said, training starts now. And so I thought I had a whole year. Uh, Jackie's people, uh, her entourage that she had, were putting on a marathon in Montreal. But that's a different, you know, that's a story. <laughs> um, but coming to Boston in 81, I was prepared. I set a world record, 144.42 for 30K in Japan. I brought my weights with me. I was doing my leg workouts. Um, I trained through everything. I was eating well. I had a nutritionist. I was, I, um, Jacques Semple was my massage therapist. I, Can't beat that. I, no, I know. <laughs> you just hear Bobby Orr. Are you kidding me? He kicked Bobby Orr out because I got my girl coming. <laughs> it's great. In any case, um, um, in my heart, you all, you know, you, you train to win. You, every scenario, you know, the feeling comes and you relax, push harder, relax, push harder. And you pay, I, I don't know about you, but I pay attention to a split a time and then associate it with the feel. How does this feel? The energy level. How long can I hold it? Is this too much? Should I back off? So there's a lot going on. And I thought, okay, I can handle anything. I can handle this. It, it's all a go. And I trained the last 5K, 23 to finish line. I knew every blade of grass, every piece of sand from the winter. I, I did that hard, hard, but relaxed. I was like, I got this. So in the run, coming up to Cleveland Circle, and it was fabulous. You know, I, I already conquered the... The Brayburn Country Club. I already con I conquered that because that's where Joni was. Um, I already passed Jackie Galore in my in my head, <laughs> and so I knew it was free sailing. You know, I was like, "Okay, okay, here we go. Twenty three miles. I'm gonna bang it out." <laughs> Didn't happen. I came up, and there's only enough room for one runner to get to to pass. And as I was Coming down on on the circle there, on the little downhill, it was fabulous. There's people hanging out of the apartment buildings. There's people across on the lights, straddling it. And I hear, Patty, Patty. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. But, you know, you don't acknowledge anything. You just keep going. And as I came down into the, the red lights, you know, the lights there in the circle with all the trolleys crisscross. And there's only enough room for one person. And there's people because they're leaning into you and they're touching you. You know how it is, Ambie. They, they like want to touch you. And I'm sideways and I'm trying to get through. And as I do, smash into the back end of a horse. Oof. One of the, the police horses. And because there were so many people there, I didn't fall down. I got caught. Uh, Tom Dederian caught me. And he passed me on to another great Boston guy, Paul Oborowski. He passed me, but I didn't have breath. There was no breath. I couldn't breathe. And I don't know whether I shouted or in my mind or a voice, Allison passed me. And I just remember, no. <laughs> so I don't know whether I shouted or it was just in my head. And I could see myself in mid-form, and I'm trying to get my, try to inhale or exhale. I couldn't breathe. And when I could, I thought, close the gap, close the gap. 
And I, 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 I closed the gap a little bit, but I got a PR. Two twenty seven. Two twenty seven. I know. I know. I know. So I was very happy. I was very happy with that because you never know what's going to happen in the race. You know, a stitch could come. Um, you could just get a, something could happen. Your foot, your leg, your hamstring, your knee. Something could really happen. And or a dog could come out <laughs> or somebody could pass you a thing of rum, <laughs> which has happened. <laughs> so you just don't know what's going to happen to you. And then to have the smashed horse and to have the with it all to, to, to do it, to run and to continue and get a PR. I, I was pretty happy. You were happy. Well, good for <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, yeah, yeah. Good I was for happy. you. So, Patty, uh, What's going on in women's running now? We're watching 214, oh, 211. I, okay. I mean, what yeah. do you make oh, of all of this? Oh, it's great. It's great. When I saw the 211, 211.34, um, I had people texting me and FN211. I was like, oh my gosh, who, who did this? Who's running? Like, I thought maybe it was a native kid or it was uh, somebody that we knew. And then they said, no, a woman. I went, what? So I looked, and I did the math, and I love doing math, and it comes out to be 502 pace. And then I looked at her history, and I said, oh, half miler. Oh. So I texted back. I said, she knows herself. She's been in the well many times. She knows what it's made out of. She hung up her pictures there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Patty, I think it's great to hear you say that you love math and you came oh, up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 502 is what I got when I did the same division that you got. Uh, but I want to go back yeah. to your own running a little bit still. You were running in a period when the pioneers of women's running, the first people to really push through the barriers were there. And we've mentioned names already like Joni. I don't think we've mentioned Lynn Jennings. You ran against oh, her, Lynn. Allison, and of course, Greta Weitz. What, what was it like to be part of that group of women which were going where no one ever imagined you could go? We didn't think of that. I didn't <laughs> think of that. <laughs> um, I thought they were always there. Um, and I didn't think of women's pioneers or um, that it was the beginning of the wave for women. I thought it was always there. I never thought there was a problem that women couldn't run. I, you know, I didn't know. I just thought they chose not to, <laughs> that they were missing out because I heard great conversations. I ran with a lot of men a lot, and uh, high, uh, track from co the local colleges and I heard a lot of stories and I thought oh my goodness their wives and girlfriends are missing out on this I hear a lot and it was all like deep stuff a lot of deep stuff they wanted to talk and I thought wow they're missing out but, um with Joni and Lynn we were on the same team at the time uh we ran for Liberty and we had some team it was great I ran for a very short time uh but you know uh, Joni was in Maine, and she went to North Carolina. Then she went to Bowden. Uh, back to Bowden, and then Lynn was in high school, and I felt like an old lady <laughs> because she was a high schooler. And I thought, oh, I'm running against kids. This is ridiculous. I I can't do this. This is like. And somebody actually said to me, "Why do you run? You're taking trophies away from little kids." Oh. And you know, and I thought at the time. 
you know, I'm running local races and I didn't see any kids <laughs> at the races running five miles or 10 miles. I thought, wow, if they were, that shouldn't be. Um, but, you know, and I didn't know Lynn that well. I'm going to see her at the end of the month, though. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, it'll be nice. It'll be a good visit. Uh, none of us were really close. It was not until after it's all said and done. So, so Patty, let me ask you then, we all know that everything in the late seventies and eighties was building towards 1984, the oh, first yeah. marathon trials for women. And then of course the Olympics, where were you at that point? Did you run in the trials and, and what was your fitness? What was it like for you? I had, uh, I, I had my foot operated on a ruptured by plantar fascia. And at the time, because I was so new and running injuries, people were running through a lot of injuries. And of course I did. You know, you've got to keep it going. You've got to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, take time off. And what happened was people really didn't understand or believe me that I had a sore foot. It happened in the Trevera Tusum. Um, I was running fabulous. I was going great. And going around a turn, around the seven mile or eight mile, I think it was, I could feel all the weight of me in the turn on the inside of my arch. And I, it was like, oh, wow, that hurt. And so I finished the race. I won. It was good. And, you know, I'm there by myself and I'm thinking at my foot, but it went away. So since that time... It finally ruptured on the Tufts track in a year later. Um, people thought because I couldn't run up and down the sidewalks, I couldn't take that. I couldn't take the slant in the road. So I had to run late at night and run in the middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs> so I to stay on the crown. And so I think it would have been better if I knew what the pain was for, was from. And so it ruptured, and that was in 82, February of 82, I had it operated on. I got a stress fracture that September. I had the long-term recovery because I had it reattached, and that lost time. Come to the trials, I had to go qualify, and I did, ironically, in Houston, which I had won a few years prior, and I ran a 253. <laughs> so I ran that January, uh, 253, by the skin of my teeth to get my qualifying time in. I think I made it by 30 seconds, and I had after race effects. I was, oh, I never really had after race effects. I this was bad. I had feverish. I was exhausted. You know, I just wanted to sleep for days. In any case, I did make it. And I said, I really have to whip myself into shape. And so I did. And the Olympic trials was the goal. And at pr privately, my, my personal life was on the rocks. And there was separation together, separation. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to do the trials and get my mind on that. And so I did. And I did, a P I did go and I did a two, I think I did a 238. I'm looking at 236, think, 16th Oh, really? Place. I did 236? <laughs> oh. Yes. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. That's, I did some six. That's, that's cool. That's a long way from 253 in January. 
a oh. couple months before. Yes, I'll tell you. Well, I had to lose weight. I started all over again. I had to lose like 25 pounds. Um, I went back to the gym and I just zoned, beelined. <laughs> and then after the trials, um, um, I thought things would be different and it wasn't. So I didn't get invited to races really. And so that just put the thinking in another area, but I wasn't, I wasn't ready to give up to quit. Patty, there's so much to your story. We may actually have to (laughs) circle back and do it again and fill in some more details. But, but for now, I'd like to ask you our little closing question, which is if we gave you a fairy godmother and three wishes for the world of running for yourself, for whatever, what wishes might you make? Well, that was easy. I have one, and it's a big one. Uh, for 30 years now, I've been wanting, and I, I've been wanting it. And it's starting, I'm the coach now, so it's um, for Wings of America. 30 years, I've been wanting an all-Native American Olympic team. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't let that go. I'm on the board of directors. Go for it. <laughs> for Wings, and I, I've been telling them, I said, you know, Look at all the stuff. Look what we do. Look what we're able to do. And they said, yeah, it's not far-fetched. So, you know, it's starting. You know, you got to beat the drum a little bit more, a little bit louder. And, and wing, <laughs> so, but you start with one. And Wings is an indigenous or Native American running club for anyone who doesn't know that. Yes, it is. And another, another wish? Oh, oh, in the same line, uh, cross-country. An all Native wow. American cross country team. It's the same. It's the same thing. I think that's if we start uh, with cross country and build from there. Because cross country, you get. I ran cross country. I loved cross country, and a lot of natives. We we run cross country. Um, that would be fabulous. But it's more. I couldn't think of a third one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got those two. As I have my head around that. <laughs> Patty, thank you so but, much. This is. What a joy to be with you, as always. You You are so (laughs) inspiring, (laughs) really. Well, thank you, George. It's been great. Patty, every meeting with you, whether it's in real life, in person, face-to-face, or audio like this, your energy is so palpable. Your spirit is so high and positive. (laughs) It's very, very easy to understand why you were a great marathon runner and a great competitor. I'm not saying it's easy to do what you did, but your energy, I think, has no (laughs) bounds. Oh, thank you. I just love it. I really do. I just love that first time. It was, it hit, I could breathe and I felt so good and I never had that feeling before. And I say, you know, it was happiness or joy. And I think it was just a big God moment. (laughs) Well, we're so, so happy that you had that moment and that it gave you such a wonderful life going forward. And again, we thank you for being with us today. That was a great conversation with Patty George. Was there anything uh, in her remarks that particularly impressed you? <laughs> First of all, Amber, her 
just her effervescence for living life to the fullest. And you and I know uh, she's not had an easy life and she's been through so, so much uh, along the way. And yet she just seems to be so incredibly resilient. But what really I loved was when she talked about how when she was overweight, she knew nothing about running. She went out to run, having read the Ken Cooper aerobics book to got inspired her. And she was wearing earth shoes, hard to imagine. And she did loops around the cemetery. This is her first run. And as she was running, a policeman even stopped her as though, you know, what are you up to, lady? And she kept going. She ran seven miles, and she said, for the first time, I felt like I could breathe, and I'd never had that feeling before. I mean, that one just got me. That really did. That breathe comment really hit me also. Uh, I've been fortunate that uh, Patty and Danny Dillon now live in my neck of the woods in Connecticut, So we see them, I don't know, a half dozen times during the year. So we've had lots of conversations about her tough childhood. And and she was kind of the mother to the kids in her family because the parents were absent doing other things. And life was tough. And she didn't get much chance to breathe. She was cooking and taking care of the kids and sending them off to school every day. So running really gave her a release And the other thing you always notice about Patty is just the energy. She just she makes you feel like she probably sleeps two hours a day and wakes up at one o'clock in the morning, just as full of energy as some of us get to at about noontime. And I, I can imagine that that energy fueled some incredible training and races. And we know her race results. And she also total told us that she trained up to 130 miles a week. And this was, you know, 40 years ago. So it's not just today's runners that are all in on the sport, but Patty was also. Well, it was wonderful seeing her honored with the a Baby Bakila Award in New York. And, uh, and I guess that's it, Ambie, for this week's episode of Running State of the Sport. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed sharing this time with you. And we'll be back again in in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, please tell your friends about Running State of the Sport. We'd also appreciate a review at your favorite podcast host, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. In signing off, here's our hope for the state of your own personal running. Chin up, clear eyes, full heart, keep moving onward. <laughs>